This is episode number four of our series as we study the law as we go throughout from beginning to end in scripture. And so in this episode, we're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy and also some other passages of scripture. And the one thing that I hope that you walk away with is the importance, the supremacy and the essentiality of the essentiality of God's word. I hope that that's what you see as we read um, in Deuteronomy and as we go to these other passages. And it kind of builds on what we've been talking about. In the last two episodes, we took a deeper look into the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. We saw how Yahweh set himself above any other spiritual being. And we will see that same thing continue in Deuteronomy. Since he is set apart, he deserves an exclusive worship and devotion above all created beings and man-made things. So if we are to be his people, we are to be set apart as well in the way that we live with one another. That's what we saw in the Ten Commandments and the things that were lined out. In Deuteronomy, we will see that just merely knowing the truth of God's law or his word will not just passively change us. But it is in savoring his word above all else that our lives and those that we influence or disciple will be changed. And some uh, historians and biblical scholars say that Deuteronomy is a book of remembrance. Moses is going to constantly remind the people of God about God's faithfulness to them despite their unfaithfulness to him. And so the chapter we're going to look at is going to challenge the Israelites to more than just mental acknowledgement of God, but rather building their every step on him and his word. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter six, and we're going to read through verse 15. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord, your God, you and your son and your son's son. And that's talking about just each generation. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. That it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give you. With great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, be guarded, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. And so we see it is not enough that the follower of the law knows the law, but one is expected to keep the law, to obey the law, to do the law. And we see that in verses one through three. In part of verse one, it says that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. In verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you in verse three, hear therefore Israel and be careful to do them. And when you pick up in verse four, we read the word again, the word here. And that word in Hebrew is the Shema. And the Shema, this section of the passage of scripture would have been recited in Jewish households constantly. And this word does mean to hear. It means to listen, but this word does not merely mean to just allow words to register in our brain, but it is what we would call in education, the application part. So there are multiple steps in a student's learning process in the classroom. We teach them to remember the facts, the information. We allow them to comprehend, to understand, but then lastly, they are to apply them. So to remember and understand are both things done mentally. But the only way that as a teacher, I know that my students understand the scientific concepts that I teach them is if they can apply them, if they can keep them, if they can do them. So when we hear Moses saying to the people of God, hear Shema, he is saying more than just, hey, listen up, I have something to say to you. He is saying, if you really understand God's law, then it will change your life in the same way that in my classroom and on the softball field when I coach that my students and my athletes show their understanding of what I'm teaching them by their application. The Christian's fruit proves what they believe about God and his word. Your life tells a story about what you believe about God and his word. Your life tells a story about whether or not you believe God's word is supreme, whether or not you savor it above all other things in this world, whether or not you value Christ above all things. John 15 calls this abiding, but we're going to look at first John and see how he paints this picture of what we just talked about. That the Christian's fruit proves what they believe about God and his word. Let's, let's look at 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 first. And it says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Those who truly are in Christ, those who truly love Jesus, those who truly love the Lord and are seeking after him will show it by how they live out, by how they apply, apply the word of God to their lives, which means they have to value it. We don't, we don't apply things to our lives that we don't really value. People who you watch in the gym and depending on what type of regiment that they used to work out or when you go and whatever craft that you're watching an athlete or a teacher, whenever you see them applying, typically it's because they truly believe and value what was taught to them. 
The reason that people, when they come in my classroom and they see that I have all of the Amplify curriculum materials posted the way that they should be is because I believe in the methodology that Amplify uses to build their curriculum. We apply what we value and what we believe and what we savor and what we treasure above all else. We will live that out. So if the word is not seen in your life, if you are not obedient to God's word, then a person can evaluate your life and say, well, then they probably don't treasure Christ as much as they think they do or as much as they say they do. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So God is not doing anything new when it comes to calling his people to obey his word when we read in the New Testament. We're going to get into that when we talk about Jesus as the law fulfiller. And, and again, we're going to talk about the implications of what God has really called us to obey and the difference between just trying to keep rules and loving him. We're going to get into that. But you can already get a taste and understanding. You can already get a sense that God is not doing anything new. He is calling all peoples from Abraham all the way to the last person to ever live before Jesus comes back. He is calling all people to be marked by their obedience of his word. He says, that's no new commandment. That's an old commandment. And it's the same one that you've had from the beginning. Listen to first John chapter five, verses two through three. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. God has not called us to something that is too heavy. He's not called us to something that is too far out of our reach as if you would continue to read in Deuteronomy and how they describe it. It's not too far out of our reach. It's not too far above our understanding. He has given us something that by the power of his Holy Spirit, we can truly do and we can understand. It says we've been given everything that we need to live a godly life in his word. And so I'll I'll put it to you this way. When I talk about the difference between a Christian who is marked by God's word and who truly values value God's word and a person who professes to be a Christian or may really be in Christ, but yet they have not discovered this truth yet. They've not recognized that the difference between them living a life of obedience and living a life of misery and struggle, never being able to understand why they can truly um, consistently respond to God and loving, faithful obedience. The difference between those two things is going to be God's word. And I'm going to share just my experience in my childhood to give you an example of that. So, um, I grew up in church. I I went to church every Sunday. Like there was no question about it. On Sunday, we were going to church. Like I literally had church clothing. We would go to the store and buy shoes and attire that were set aside for us to go into the house of God and worship. And that's just how my parents set it out. And that's what they saw. My mom grew up in a household where my mama took her and my aunts and uncles to church. And it was the same thing. They bought church clothes and they were going to go and participate In all of the activities, there was no question about that. But I will say now, looking back, and again, being able to understand these things, the word of God was not supreme in my house or even in my church. I'm not saying that the word of God wasn't read. The word of God wasn't preached. We had Bibles. My mom taught us to pray. We went to church. The pastors preached from the word. But the word of God was not supreme. It wasn't the all be all. It wasn't the thing that was at the center. It wasn't the foundation. It wasn't the studs of the house. It wasn't the structure. It wasn't the thing that we were most worried about. It was not supreme. 
And I did not know fully then, but I did know even then, especially upon my confession of faith, that there was something that was off. There was something that was off. I knew that listening to Kirk Franklin on the way that on the way to church and then listening to some type of R&B music or whatever rap music came on on the on that same radio station on the way home was not the way of life. And I'm not being religious and saying like, oh, Christians shouldn't listen to to any secular music. I'm saying the heart behind our actions because it was repetition and it was a habit. We did the the same things. We went to church on Sunday. We did those things, you know, uh, the, the kids would have been a part of the choir. There was vacation Bible school. There were all these things, but on the way home and the rest of the week, again, the word of God was not recognized, at least not in my life. Me being able to watch and then seeing now in my life and looking back and watching the people who were responsible for for bringing me up in the faith and the, the pastors and Sunday school teachers, seeing them outside of church, the word of God was not supreme. So I knew that something was off. But at the same time, that's what Christianity looked like to me. So my family and friends who were a part of churches yet did not see God as to be desired above all but we thought we were living the christian life because we knew the bible i mean we could quote bible verses i have friends who right now probably don't confess anymore to be christians but they can probably quote a a lot of scripture because that's we were brought up in church we learned those things we can sing gospel music well and so we thought we were producing fruit we thought that we were living the christian life and, and again, I will add that I was given a Bible and I did read it and I tried to make sense of it. And I did at a very young age, I made a confession of faith and I understood in that state of my mind what it meant to be a sinner and that I needed Jesus. But like, like I tell people all the time, discipleship is more than just a decision on a Sunday morning. It's something that goes past that. And so I wasn't being shown that I wasn't being taught that yet. As I tried to read the word and make sense of it, I knew that there was something that was supposed to be different about not only my life, but the people around me who claim to be Christians. So again, I tried to make sense of it, but being amongst the people and a church body that did not value God's word, it was hard as a child or a teen to know any difference. I can look back now and know, but again, when I was in it, it was hard to know the difference on what was the true Christian life. And, and typically the people we thought that were supposed to exhibit the life that I'm about to um, explain that I discovered later on in life were pastors. Those would be the only people that I'm telling you, the average person who grew up in church and, and understood and, th- and even still to this day that thinks about Christianity in this way. They would say, oh, well, what you're about to describe and what you're going to describe is the life of a pastor. They're, they're the ones who should value God's word above all else. They're the ones who are going to cling to God's word in such a way and allow it to change their lives because they're the pastor. They're the ones that's supposed to be leading us and teaching us all these things. So again, I was trying to read the word, trying to understand, but again, looking out and seeing just not what, what I know now is supposed to be the true life of a believer. I knew that it was supposed to be something different, but I just couldn't at that time, at that age, as a teenager, as a child did not know the difference, which is why discipleship is so important. And that's a, another conversation for a different day. But fast forward to about my, the end of my freshman year, my sophomore year of college. 
And uh, I, when I first came to college, I, I went to a Christian college, Louisiana Christian University. And so we had we had chapel. And when our RAs did Bible studies with us, I was on the softball team. We did team Bible studies. But the, the ministry that I will say, again, even at a Christian college, going to all those things, the thing that, that really impacted my life the most was the ministry of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so fast forward to my sophomore year of college. The Lord surrounded me with these people who were also athletes, a part of this ministry. Some of them were leading the what we call huddles, which were Bible study groups. And some of them were just a part of it. But their lives were different. But at the same time, not different because they were athletes. You know, they still had human interests. They were people. They, didn't, they weren't pastors. So they didn't have that facade that the average person would expect these people to have it, since they lived this way. But they had the same sin struggles as me. And many people that I grew up with, and most of them grew up in church, and they can tell the same story that I'm telling, but something about them was different. And when I look at my experience with the church from a young age compared to my college experience, the only thing that I can put my finger on and really, really, truly say is the difference is the supremacy and importance of God's word in those people's lives compared to the people that I was around and was being discipled by and influenced by and mentored by as a child and as a teenager. That is the difference. Like the people I I was surrounded with in college made no decision apart from seeking God's word. Like what was that? I never seen that before. I mean, I was surrounded by people who just made decisions based off of what they enjoyed, what they desired or what they wanted, but not these people. And they loved God's word. It wasn't just something that you, you, you read or were taught on a Sunday morning. And they sang God's word all the time. It wasn't as if they were putting down the music of the world, but it was really as if there's nothing more I would rather listen to on my playlist or nothing more I would rather sing than God's word because that's how much they valued it. That's how essential it was. That's how supreme it was. That's how important it was. That's how valuable it was to them. That's how much they treasured it. They listened to it preach. Like they planted themselves in a church in a way that I'd never seen before. It really wasn't just a routine. It wasn't habit. But I mean, they came with different color markers and pencils to be able to highlight and etch through the word. They had notebooks and they were reading commentaries and looking up the original languages as they listened to the word preached. I mean, they really were like studying the text along with the preaching of the word that they heard. And, and they were creative yet careful in how they presented his word. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about getting some type of big, uh, crazy response. As I saw a lot of times in churches and it, it was all a show. It wasn't a show for them. And because of their value of God and his word above everything, their lives were different. And I finally found the missing thing that I was looking for in my pursuit of the Lord from 10 years, nine or 10 years old. And so therefore, I began to treasure God's word. I began to value his word above all things. I no longer made decisions apart from his word. I sang his word again, not putting down the secular music of the world just for the sake of being righteous, but truly because I wanted nothing else more than just to sing his word because I treasure who he is and I desire to desire him above all things. And so now with every sermon listened to, every interaction that I have, every conversation, 
every Bible study with the person who professes to be a Christian, nothing sticks out more than if they really view the word of God as supreme and recognize him as their greatest desire. And that is what they are being instructed to do in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord with everything, with your actions, with your desires, with your thoughts and with your beliefs. And how is that going to happen in the person when they see and live God's word as if it is the first, second and last word, as if it is essential to every part of their life? How's that going to happen to a person? How's that going to truly happen? Well, look at Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. Listen to it again. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This, this same text is the same as me saying that the people I was surrounded with they valued God's word above all else. They made no decision apart from seeking God's word. They loved his word. They sang his word. They listened to it preached. They presented his word. They were always studying his word. They were confessing sins because of what the word said. I mean, they truly valued his word and you could see it in every facet of their lives. That's exactly what Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven through nine is showing us. A person who loves the Lord is going to be shaped by his word, not just because they passively read it, not just because they passively hear it on a Sunday morning or they go to Sunday school or they listen to a sermon by a famous preacher every now and then, but they truly value and treasure him and who he is and his word above all things. Look at verses 10 through 15 again. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you. And he destroy you from off the face of the earth. What do these verses mean for us today? These, there are going to be things in this world that will entice us to sin because of the still rebellious nature of our heart. And the only way that we do not forget the goodness of our God when we get a whiff of those things is if we truly savor him and his word. A person can deny themselves of what, a, of what appears to be most delightful of food for something greater. Not when they have just seen or tasted something greater, but when they have believed that what they have tasted is better than what is being put before them. Like, the reason that I can deny myself of Skittles and nerds and, and whatever sugary foods 
for Texas Roadhouse is because I've actually tasted Texas Roadhouse. I know what's in the steak. I know that the nutrients in the vegetables and those things are going to be good for me. And I actually believe that above what the, the world is preaching to me and advertising to me about Skittles and any other unhealthy or inconsistent as far as nutrient type of food. And that's just an example. And I'm telling you, the word of God again and again reminds us that this Christianity, what some would call radical, but it's just Christianity. It does not happen apart from the loving, the learning and the obedience of the word of God. So Christians, what is Deuteronomy 6 saying? How does this fit into what we've been talking about in the law of God and the law that he gave Abraham and how it's meant to be had in relationship? And how God has set himself apart, apart from every other spiritual being and how he has called us to live in relationship with him. Well, all of that is going to stay mere knowledge if we do not feast on his word and feast on his law and his statutes and his commandments. No Christian who does not delight in the word of God with dust on their Bible should question why their lives are not being changed and why they desire the things of this world. Those who read the word with the intent to know God in a personal, intimate relationship will respond by the power of the Holy Spirit in loving, faithful obedience. But it does not happen apart from his word. So parents, pastors, Sunday school teachers, whoever you are, do you actually love the Lord with all your heart, soul and mind? What does your life say to your children, your congregation, or whoever is watching your life about what you believe about God and his word? Because we obey God, not merely because we are called to, but because we believe his word. That there is no greater desire or calling than him. So the great and good cities and the houses full of all good things, according to verses 10 and 11 in Deuteronomy 6 are but a piece of glitter in comparison to how bright he shines in our lives. And I'll leave you with this before we pray. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 8 part A. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that's just what I want to pray for, for those who will listen to this and those who won't listen, but those that I know are, are struggling in their pursuit of Christ. Those who are not struggling and are really abiding in Christ and savoring his word. I want to pray that we can recognize the surpassing worth of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. His worth surpasses everything in this world, every job promotion, every inch of fame that we can get, every moment of popularity, every every piece of money, anything that we could ever get, that it's the surpassing worth of Christ that we should treasure above all. He's far greater and far better than anything else. So much so, and I love to say this, it's going to take all of eternity for us to experience just how great he is. We're going to be 100 billion days into eternity and we still would not have reached the depths of who Christ is. There is nothing on earth that can even come close to that. Nothing. 
every ounce of pleasure and every moment of a good experience or a moment of a fulfilled desire is only a piece of glitter in comparison to how great Christ is. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how powerful it is. I thank you for how faithful you are to change us as we read your word. Lord, you have given us everything that we need to live a godly life. You have given us the father who loves us and you've sent us your son to die on a cross for our sins. You've filled us with your spirit and you've given us your word so that we can learn all of the things that we need to know about who you are so that we can seek after you and recognize you for truly for truly for who you are. Lord, your word is the thing that allows us to see just how much you are far valuable and far greater than anything else. The world can't teach us that. So, Lord, we would not be changed. Our desires would not be changed. Our hearts would not be shaped apart from your word. So I pray that people would truly seek after you and your word, not religiously, not just so we can say we read it, not so that we can say we know the books of the Bible in order, not so we can say that we don't have to use the table of contents or any of those things, but so that we can truly be transformed by your word. Lord, that is the way that this world is going to be turned upside down. Not any other means, not any other methods, not any other thing that we add into our church services. Lord, we can have everything. But if we do not value and treasure and see your word as supreme, nothing will be changed. We may have baptisms. We may have people that become members, but our lives will not be changed. We will not be holy as you are holy. We will not have godly lives. We will not be changed. We will not be able to truly influence the people around us. So I pray that you would open our eyes and deepen our taste buds and allow us to not be so shallow that our desires would not be so weak and so small that we would truly seek after you and taste and see and believe what that verse says that you are good and that there's nothing better there's nothing going to ever be better than you and let that make us glad in that may that be an encouragement to our pursuit of life on this earth god i thank you and the people who listen to this, they're going to know who they are. I thank you for those people that you placed in my life that value the word above all else, Lord, that treasured your word above all else. Because, again, apart from that influence, apart from seeing that I would be the Christian continuing to struggle day after day, trying to figure out what it meant to follow you and never being able to understand it. But it is in your word and people walking alongside me in the word, teaching me and me seeing them live it out that my life was changed. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray that my life would be an influence to others in that way. Lord, may our church cling to the word and nothing else. And may we trust you for the result. Amen.